Welcome to Fintech Insider. We've now been downloaded in more than 120 countries in 19. And because of you, we continue to top the charts in iTunes in the business podcast category. So thank you for listening. But remember, be sure to subscribe and be sure to tell your friends to leave comments because we love those comments. Today, we're coming to you from level 39 in London. And London, of course, as you know, is the heart of fintech. I'm Simon Taylor. My usual co-hosts are globetrotting on business for 11FS at the moment, the lucky sausages, although I hear they're quite cold. But don't worry, we have Gela Boschkowitz with us, the founder of Femtech Global, and we'll be talking all about SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises, small businesses, and how do they do their banking. We've got some great guests. George Beavis, the CEO of Tide, Gary Turner, the co-founder and managing director at Zero, and Luke Ifilovich, if I've said his name correctly, the co-founder at Penta. But now, on with the news. So on with the news, and uh, joining me at the moment, I have uh, Gary Turner, the co-founder and managing director at Zero. Gary, say hello. Hello. And I also have Luca, I'm not going to try and say your last name, the co-founder of Penta. Ivicevich. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we've got the, the wonderful Gela Boschkowitz's guest host. Hey, Gela. Hi, Simon. Hello. Uh, so some, some killer news this week. Um, the one I wanted to start with, though, is this idea that um, China is topping the fintech ranking, according to a story on Finextra. China has outpaced London, New York and Silicon Valley to become the world's undisputed global fintech leader. So I don't know if there was some belt unification. I'm thinking boxing metaphors here. But they quote our good friend, at DBS, Neil Cross, who's their chief innovation officer, and says favorable government policies and regulations have contributed to the growth of a thriving fintech ecosystem powered by billion-dollar tech and innovators such as Alibaba, Tencent, and Baidu. What do we think about China? Is it, you know, the Galapagos of fintech, as our friend James Lloyd at EY says, where, you know, it's great, they've got a huge home market, and you can do amazing things, but it never exports? Or are there things we should be learning from China? I mean, Gary, did you have any thoughts there? So I think, obviously, it's a huge home market, and there are many brands that haven't exited from China. Um, And so I think, I guess I'm not surprised that they're now claiming this title of largest fintech hub because they're so so huge, huge population, huge economy, lots of innovation just to serve that home market. But um, will will that transition overseas? Who knows? Well, I mean, isn't that the point of the kind of the European experiment as well? I guess as we're calling it now post-Brexit. Uh-huh. Um, but the same for North America. It seems like a, an insular market and it's in mar- it's in response to the particular nuances and culture of that market. How much is actually exportable? Mm-hmm. But when you have uh, 40% of, of the Chinese population, the consumer is actually using new payment methods where you've got minimal adoption across the rest of the markets. Maybe that is something. It's maybe on not necessarily the tech itself, but it's the user adoption uh-huh. and the marketing of uh, new ways and means to move money. I think that's probably more interesting and probably where we should be looking is how do you get people to on these new um, payment methods or adopting new technology, not necessarily the technology itself. Yeah, so it's not the companies and the shine, you know, it's not learning how the tech works because the tech works probably the same. It's actually the cultural shift and the behavioral yeah. shift. Yeah, I actually, I do think nothing new under the sun, right? right? The tech that we've got right now is still, it's 20 years, it's rooted 20 years ago, it's 20, 40 years ago, whatever it happens to be. It's still, it's always existed. It's just the way we see the business model or we say, we, the way we see the, the utility of it. And in part, that really is about the lag user, the very end adopters. They've managed to really cut that user adoption cycle incredibly short. And Mm -hmm. that may be where the magic is. And they use it completely differently. I mean, if you look at WeChat, for example, 
Uh, and WhatsApp, we're not sending money exactly. But WeChat has all these embedded features that you're directly using right over that. So I think in many ways we're actually behind uh, China at least. So, in that sense. I mean, so there is an argument for saying it's yeah. the, the superior fintech landscape, but is it really the tech or is it no. the way they're using Yeah, it's the way they use it. Use the it. They it's behave. the business Absolutely. model. And it's all, in my Absolutely. book, it's all down to customer behavior. Yeah. And that would actually beg the question of how do you convince uh, the insular Western consumer to a- adopt a different behavior and be convinced that a frictionless experience, quote unquote, is better than you know having to interface or go to a trusted institution you know logging onto your bank website or your mobile app on the on for your bank rather than doing it in whatever format or or platform you're already on why is it that seems to be the hurdle not necessarily the tech enablement of making the money move seamlessly behind the scenes a very interesting story and and, um, next one up really about you know kind of getting people to change their mindsets a little bit is uh, this story in the international business times it says the fintech approach to data science and machine learning is a little bit different. So banks and financial institutions have been talking for years about you know, data as the new oil and really taking advantage of data. Um, but actually, there's um, a chap here, Dr. Tristan Fletcher, the research director at a company called Thought Machine, sort of saying that actually the way banks are incentivized makes it very hard for them to monetize their data. The fact that they're constantly being incentivized with cash bonuses makes you very short term in your thinking. And to be long term in your thinking, you would probably be re-architecting your data, spending a lot of time and energy learning about it. Um, And this isn't something that banks are not doing. FinTech lends itself to this specialization because there are many well-packaged problems that need to be solved and can be clearly clearly delineated, KYC, AML, credit checking. So a FinTech company specializes in just one problem. You've got a bank that's trying to do everything under the sun and think short term. So I think it's a really interesting point here about not just data, but also um, the power of being a specialist in something, the power of knowing about something rather than trying to be this conglomerate that does everything for everyone. I mean, you guys are in fintech companies that specialize. Luca, I don't know if you had any views on specialization. Yeah, uh, I mean, with us at least, we've we figured out that, or in general, uh, if, if you focus on one thing that you're really good at, you should let others do what they're best at. Uh, in our case, for example, we want to integrate guys like Xero to be able to provide different fintech apps and services. So it's more about where we're putting our focus on what we're doing and what we're best at. Well, there's an, there's the other side of the argument, which is all of that data is locked up in legacy systems. So it's finding where the data resides. It's not that they're not able to do anything with it. They just can't find it. So part of the challenge is how do you find the data in order to better utilize it or to find uh, different patterns in, in customer behavior? I think uh, I think my theme for the show is probably going to be around behavior. Um, but that actually is probably more of a problem than necessarily specializing, right? Because banks are divided into their basic lines of business. They're experts in that. And they're not blind to the technology enablement that, that comes along with being experts at that. But it's about actually unlocking the data out of legacy systems, not so much, you know, st- not the specialization of it, but it's unlocking it. I think that's probably a bigger hindrance. Getting the blocking and tackling right to borrow Boom. the mechanism. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so you, you wonder how much of a, a reaction to that inertia in traditional banking and financial services fintech is. I mean, is so fintech stands on its own two feet, but is actually a response to the lack of innovation and the lack of um, new thinking in, in banking. And I think I'm probably going to misquote it, but I'm sure it was Mark Anderson said that, like, show me an, a, 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 an incumbent industry or a big business that's struggling to change, and I'll show you 
a bunch of executives that have their own kind of bonus structure because <laughs> actually they're financially incentivized to not change and to protect what's there. And then, and then all of a sudden, after the, the financial crisis, we see this massive explosion of fintech thinking. And I think in large part as a response to that inertia. And, uh, and, and the point about, so where does machine learning and AI play into this? I think it absolutely does, but in a way that it, it stitches into every industry, not just financial services. I don't know about you guys, but the last six months, there's every every web page I open up, every article I look at, it's machine learning or AI. And it seems to have captured the imagination of it the is. collective, like nothing has in a very long time. It's the subject. Absolutely. It is definitely the new black. And I think um, I, won't, I was quoted earlier as saying that um, the only thing more overhyped than blockchain is AI and machine learning because it's um, it's a lot less intelligence and it's a lot more artificial than people give it credit for and as a result you know there is all of this hype around it but you know things like deep learning where mm-hmm. machines are learning how to do things with a very large data set you know they're at the very cutting edge of what Google does and they are phenomenal when implemented right but it's not a panacea to solving all of your internal problems and as Geller says if you can't even get at that data in the first place or you don't even know where it is, then how are you going to take advantage of this stuff? And then secondly, are you even incentivized to take advantage of it when you do? Um, some some interesting points there, definitely. Um, I'm going to move us um, swiftly on because we've got a lot to get through today. And the next story comes from Finnovate and it talks about Santander investing in a company called Trade shift, and this story is here is is, is on Finovate, and uh, I think they've picked up um, a seventy five million dollar funding round this summer, um, and I can't find the exact amount that Santander invested, but it seems like uh, here's an organisation that uh, is talking about not getting boxed in and creating um, a commerce platform around trade finance, so a cloud based way of dealing with trade finance. And I don't know if you're familiar with trade finance, but it's basically if I'm a, a, a large retailer in the UK and I want to buy garments out of China, trade finance is the way I do that. So I would go to my bank and I'd say, I want to buy something from this retailer. Can you finance me bringing in these parts? And can you take the risk in case my supplier doesn't deliver to me? This has been happening for 2000 years. And indeed, a lot of the documents are over 2000 years old that are used like the bill of lading. So it doesn't surprise me that um, platforms that are cloud-based are starting to emerge. Indeed, Xero being a, a cloud-based cl- platform for all things you know, accounting for small businesses. Um, I think there's probably something there in this really getting into other parts of of the industry. Gary, do you think there's something in um, you know kind of cloud platforms transforming financial services that's finally coming there? And do you think an investment from an incumbent like Santander would help or hinder an organization like that? Um, so it's hard, it's hard to judge. I think I mean, one observation would be, I mean, so 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was really easy to identify what a platform was because there weren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody wants to be a platform. Everything's a platform. Mm-hmm. And and I, I kind of struggle with the, the kind of the, the fundamental definition of that because platforms upon platforms, uh, who, who's the primary platform the nom- in this? nomenclature is really Absolutely. It's the wrong right? language yeah, to yeah. use. It, maybe it was the right language when it was operating systems and kind of browser platforms. <laughs> but actually, what is a platform these days? I mean, so we started off on a journey thinking we were going to build a, an accounting app that ran on a web browser 10 years ago. And, and that has kind of grown and morphed. And actually, there are aspects of what we do that are like a platform. I don't know if platform is the right word, but that seems to be the, the one that everybody's tagged. Um, What's your definition of a platform? Um, so, so I think it's the, you're the hub. Um, 
and you're going to use other other kind of yeah. metaphors. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're at the center of mm. enabling. Uh, different nodes or mm-hmm. service providers to connect and you either kind of broker that connection or you kind of deliver some of it. But it's designed to happen without necessarily a lot of effort from yourself yeah. if you're at the middle it's point. It's an automated yeah. traffic yeah. warden is what it is. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. TM. Gather dropping knowledge. I'm yeah. trademarking that one. Uh, <laughs> register that domain name right now. I'm going to. <laughs> but I think there is something that comes from Silicon Valley culture where we're, we're building a user experience platform that enhances, you know, like just this this BS that comes yep. with just like... It's spin. Let's just yeah. be honest. It's spin. Yeah. That, that everybody wants to be a platform. But I think here, you know, trade finance is something that is heavily paper-based, is heavily kind of ripe for disruption and somebody making something that takes the paper out and automates, you know, kind of all of these different policies talking to each other makes a lot of sense and, and interesting that um, a friend of ours a show friend of ours Mariana Belinky was sort of saying that that architecture is the key differentiator for them the fact that you can get rid of that paper and then you can also add value over the top of it once you've got rid of the paper you can start managing the data and doing interesting things I don't know um, if you guys have seen when people move from paper invoices or, or, or problems in their small business to, to digital but that seems to be where the benefit so, is so that strap line there that whole we'll get rid of paper and then you can add value is basically the kind of boilerplate for every kind of innovation and platform right now, yeah. whether it's in trade finance or whether it's in small business accounting or whether it's in kind of other kind of uh, 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 ways of engaging a different markets and market needs. And I think, and 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 so it's so so congratulations to those guys for developing that and getting that to that point. But that's again another one of those universal changes that's happening in every industry. It's now happening in trade finance. Um, the actual kind of core ingredients of it are, 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 are universal and happening in every industry. We see that everywhere. And just to go back to the data conversation, actually, if you have all this data about how the SME or, or retail client is using their financial services, you're able to offer them all these different, I mean, platform-enabled uh, services, essentially, especially through somebody it's, like It's like easier Zero. reporting, actually, and that easier, yeah. like, easier access to accurate reporting. Exactly. And that reporting allows you yeah. better business decisions. Yeah. I mean, the value add is actually the instant understanding. And you create so much value for them. There You're you able go. to deliver the right. product that they need through this data, which a big bank actually can't do. And, and, so the, and there's two buckets of data there. There's the, the, the historical, so how, how much did we sell last month or last quarter and, and, and help yeah. me get to that and make decisions about it. But what's the, the really interesting stuff, and I, and I hate talking about machine learning because everybody's talking about it, mm-hmm. but, but the whole idea of then instrumenting your business using, whether it's some of the new stuff that Amazon announced this week, uh, using those machine learning services where you can, you can actually start monitoring and collecting data on how your business is handling things like customer engagements or sales leads or whatever other processes and, and gathering discrete data points because you've instrumented a workflow in your business mm-hmm. to then look at the data. Like, well, actually, how can we optimize our supply chain delivery or how can we get how can we make things happen better for our customers? Or you can predict what's going to happen. Yeah, so that's the next the next phase. Exactly. So right, right now, we're only just getting our heads around how do I make sense of this pile of data behind me that's been generated just by doing business. The, the, the next thing I think that's going to be really interesting in the next five years is actually instrumenting the processes that generate that data and right. analyzing that. So it's not just the data itself, it's the process that generates the data and how can I optimize yeah. this? Yeah, well, let's, let's actually go back and I think Gary, you made it, it kind of alluded to it. It's actually about the behavior. It's modifying the behavior yeah. of the workflow. And it does still come back to your employees kind of customer behavior, user behavior. And, and again, it's a matter of how do we tweak that so it's optimized efficiencies. 
where those automated components can come out, we can handle that you know, via tech. But we also start to train our employees to think differently about this and therefore optimizing their thought process and their, their execution on this. So give me an example of a workflow inside an organization today. So um, it might be, I don't know, a workflow that you, comes to mind? So, 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 so somebody could come to your website and let's say you're, you're, you're a you're SaaS software provider selling B2B and you can trial your product, people can play with it, um, and then there's a behavior that they generally follow where they're trialing it, and then maybe a week later they decide, I want to buy this. And they may raise support tickets, they may ask you some questions about well, how does it work, and you can start to model that behavior. You can then start optimizing, well, actually, we're, we're, we're going to extend our trial to a month, yeah. or we're not going to offer a trial. And begin to actually analyze the discrete steps, even on a simple buy flow like that. And and so, I think that where, I mean, some of the stuff that Amazon we'll cover it later, but some of the stuff that Amazon announced this week that, that will just make it much easier to start instrumenting across an organization, our workflow or the business, um, which then generates a whole load of other data, but it's about behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really interesting looking back through the rear view mirror and seeing what I did with my data and it's much more about how should I change how I'm driving by looking through the windshield a little bit right. more. How, Today, how do I frame somebody else's perception of, of what optimized workflow looks like mm-hmm. it's all about perception creation <gasps> boom and on that bombshell, um, we're going to move on swiftly to the next story, which says um, there's an article here from TechCrunch because um, Disrupt happened here in London a couple of days ago. N26 announced that they were launching in 17 more countries, but backs away from their UK launch plans, which I find particularly interesting. Is this the... Uh, the the 600 ended- pound gorilla in the room? Yeah. Yeah. Brexit. Yeah. Got to be, right? I mean, why else would you choose to delay unless there were serious regulation issues. I mean, they could passport in and you'd think it would be a, a perfect home fintech market. I got to say that we, we did interview the CEO of um, N26 on episode 112, um, our Berlin fintech special. So make sure you go back and listen for clues uh, right back in that episode. Maybe maybe there's oh, something strong. Did you, did you hear it coming? <laughs> I, I can't possibly say, but if uh, you go and download the episode, you might find out. Oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it is um, it's quite interesting that there's a, a heavy focus on uh, CEE for them, for mm-hmm. N26. And Central and Eastern Central Europe. Central and Eastern Europe, rather than the, the Western side. Uh, that's kind of an, that's an interesting choice, but it's also, it kind of makes sense in, in, in terms of the market appetite for innovation, the market appetite for mobile only yes. uh, is incredibly high on, on that side of, of the continent. Go to where the polls. How many, how many users do they have outside of Germany, actually? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, I'd have to check in the uh, episode 112 yeah. where they might have said. Um, but, I, I, but I think it was all German. Uh, German and Austria. Yeah, um, it's, it's, mainly, it's mainly exactly Germany and Austria. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But I, I think that we're getting up there in, in their account numbers. And, and what's interesting is um, at 11FS we have a saying is, is being truly digital. Is, is about actually having a digital core of your business and architecting everything to be digital from the ground up rather than having something that was a branch process that was turned into a mainframe process that you put on a website and that you put on a mobile app, actually changing your processes. And that's kind of what you were talking about earlier is, is how do you use data to optimize your processes as well. And when we talked to N26, they, they were building their own core for, for precisely that reason. And does that allow them to enter new countries in a, in a more rapid way? Or are they going to have the, the same old challenges? I mean, Luca, you're launching a, a challenger bank as well. I mean, give me your thoughts. Um, I mean, 
Thoughts on, I mean, expanding that quickly, especially because they're mainly based in, in Germany and their, their users are mainly there. I think it's really important to understand the behavior, as you were earlier saying. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's not necessarily whether it's a smart move or not to expand that quickly, but I really think it's important to understand one behavior of one segment of one retail client, which has X number of transactions per month, and you really get the behavior, then you can easily move on to different segments of the market. So I think that, I mean, it's like you said, it's really about behavior. But it also goes back to that notion of specializing in one thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and part of the yeah. announcement from N26 was that they were very much going to go localize. So the apps, the customer service, the support was all going to be localized in a local language. And the myriad languages that exist in... Yeah, they currently have that. I mean, yeah. I love number 26. I think they're fantastic. I just think that, I mean, if I was running the company, obviously I'm not. I'm, I'm just looking at it more what we're doing at Penta. It's, we want to focus on very specific sectors to so understand exactly how these people behave. Mm-hmm. If you don't get that, you can't expand farther from that. But And that goes back to the data. How can you use data if you don't understand how people are behaving with it? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. As you're shaking your head, I don't know what you think. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. But I also, I mean, so the whole Brexit thing must be... Um, they can't not have discussed it in the decision. It's mm-hmm. not like they're not aware that it's happening. Yeah. And so it, it must have factored in some way, uh, even if just to kind of defer, because until we've got a bit more clarity about what that kind of schedule for the next couple of years is going to look like, I imagine making big decisions about investment in the UK might be wise to oh, hold back. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to affect until yeah. we actually have clarity on what yeah. the exit strategy looks but like. But they did mention they yeah. plan to expand in, in the summer. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I think maybe it's about the store code, big code, the regulation side of it. Maybe it's not even about not them not wanting to expand because of regulation. It, it could be a strategy piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll have to uh, give the N26 we'll stay guys. Stay tuned yeah. for future announcements. Absolutely. Uh, so the last story this week is about Amazon Go ending checkout lines and ending cash registers, and they call uh, this just walk out technology. When you walk out, your purchase is complete with a receipt in your app and charged to your Amazon account. So if you've used Uber, it's a very similar experience. There's no cash, there's no payment. You just preload your card details and you walk around scanning all your stuff and then eventually you just walk out with it and it figures out you know, that it was you that scanned it or you that's picked it up. And then you just walk out. It's very similar to that Uber experience. Um, what do we think here? Is this going to end cash registers? Is this going to be disruptive in retail? Any thoughts here? Well, interestingly enough, the article does address the notion of shoplifting. So mm-hmm. I think in terms of loss prevention, that's a very interesting impact. Uh, you know, you're also looking at, at uh, the liability as a retailer, and that's a fiscal liability, which is kind of maybe a reinsurance policy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can actually do the scan, the motion, the, the, the image uh, recognition technology. The one thing that actually caught my eye in that particular article was they anticipate a future Amazon bank card to which this purchase will be attached. So what does that tell us about Amazon playing? Yeah. Actually, what does that tell us about GAFA playing in the licensed banking space? Yeah. So that actually was probably more interesting to me than, than necessarily removing the friction at the point of sale. I'm surprised nobody did this before. Like the Uber payment model's been around for a couple of years. Like uh, Apple, Apple have. Apple, you can walk into an Apple store mm-hmm. and use the app on their phone. Mm-hmm. And providing it's a low value thing, so they won't let you walk out with like a twenty eight inch display. They're, the, the expensive stuff you have to speak to somebody about. But if you're buying like a case for your phone or some kind of hard disk or something, something like maybe a couple hundred pounds in value, you you scan the barcode and you just walk out. Yeah, I purchased my last phone from the other phone. 
And that was only two months ago. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, literally in store. But I mean, that's precisely it, right? You're in there. You you click a button. I mean, this takes us from the one button click that they have on the website and in the yeah. app um, to zero clicks. But 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 there's this piece about you know kind of having a, an app installed on your phone and then you present a barcode to a sensor in order to get into the store. And then sensor technology and GPS tracks that you've entered, identifies that you're moving through the store and identifies what product you pick up. So it's like, it's, it's kind of a, a behavior change there that I guess some people are going to run and jump out and absolutely enjoy, but other people are going to be like, eh, there's going to be a behavior change. So it makes me think two things. One, will consumers kind of adopt this? Probably, I think actually the Uber generation probably will. But the second piece is like, if I'm in merchant acquiring, in other words, if I am the bank, that looks after Tesco and Morrison's and um, you know uh, Carrefour and Oni and, and all of these international retailers. Should I not be trying to deliver this quickly before Amazon comes and turns this into a platform like they did with Amazon Web Services uh, and takes all my cards acquiring business? Actually, that that's probably the the first point of danger is what's the response for the rest of the market? Yeah. How are you going to make it as seamless as possible? I mean, the self checkout was an interesting notion where you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I did that yesterday and spent five minutes, well, more than like fifteen minutes, trying to get everything. But I made a wrong movement with arguing exactly. Please remove the item from the bagging area. <laughs> this, it, is that our future? Are we just going to be removing <laughs> items from the bagging area and there are no humans? But I mean, that that was that. I mean, in the sense of efficiencies, that was kind of a nice little step. But it's still a point of sale it does feel like even when amazon is doing this though that you're presenting the barcode there still is a point of sale it's just it's before you engage in the acquisition step instead of it being a post uh, experience it's an a priori experience which is kind of an interesting notion behavior is just it's the same steps that we're we're taking it's just reimagining the pattern of the steps and in my mind. And who likes waiting in line for anything? I mean, if you think about the concept of going <laughs> well, to a store. We are British, Gary. <laughs> but the concept of going to a store and standing in a checkout to speak to like one person that has a cash till is like a 150-year-old concept. Mm. Yet, when you walk into a lot of retail stores, that's what you're presented with. And there must be a better way than channeling people through this very analog kind of mm. checkout thing. And I really like when I walk into a shop sometimes and I, I see... If there's like more, I don't know what the number is. Maybe if there's more than like three or four people waiting in the queue, I'll often just walk back out again. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, life's too short. I just leave. And, and and I guess the whole thing about if, if we're offering, whether it's through um, Amazon or or, or or some other means, you're just giving people the choice of we can just walk in and you're checking out as you're walking out the door. Yeah. And that, in theory, therefore, must mean you sell more because you all the people that would have turned away won't turn away and they'll come in and they'll buy something and so it must net. But I don't know about you guys, I don't know exactly how that works. I mean, they said it's machine learning and deep learning and it, it, it really figures it out, but I don't think anybody really knows how that really actually works. The, yeah, I guess they've, they've got some videos on it, but yeah. the proof will yeah. be in the uh, in the pudding, um, actually, in the, the grocery the, app. Well, the, in, the intent is articulated in the patents, which is yeah. the interesting part. Um, but it comes back to this notion of trust too, uh, merchant trust. Um, and bank trust. I mean, we look at institutions as how do we engage in a trusting exchange. This actually removes the the barrier of doubt. And I think that's the interesting part is that it's, again, more of a, a concept that we're we're playing with, not necessarily a technology we're playing with. Yeah, I, I, so the first time I did it in an Apple store, I actually felt like like a, a bit like a criminal, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you walk in, yeah. 
and you pick something off a shelf and you wait for somebody to grab you and you, yeah. you scan it and then it says oh that's cool and you don't get a bag or a receipt or anything it's all digital and you just walk out the store mm. and you feel like so you're kind of like well this is weird so I spoke to one of the guys in Apple store so how do you what do you how about shoplifting what's stopping how do you know I haven't not paid for this and I think the, the rationale is that Again, the, the, the net increment in sales will um, be larger than the increment in shoplifting. And this is Amazon's point about um, actually accepting a lot more transactions and not preventing fraud on the front end, but managing the risk on the back yeah. end. Yeah. If, yeah, if your sales go up by more than your fraud goes up, you're you've winning. made more money. Yep. And also, if somebody does get defrauded and loses out, if you're willing to pay them out, um, but your sales have gone up, your revenues have gone up, and your margins gone up, then what's the downside? Yeah. So um, that's uh, all we've got time for on the news. Um, so just a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs. Opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Thank you very much to our sponsor. So I'm back once again uh, with Gella. Hello, Gella. Hi. Um, and of course, we still have uh, Gary Turner uh, with us, the co-founder and managing director in Zero. Gary, do you want to just give us a little bit of an intro into who Zero are and what they do? We are um, what was the world's most boring category of software, um, uh, accounting software. Uh, you could get into rocket science or lots of really cool things, and we, we chose accounting software. But the really cool thing about accounting software is that it's uh, unavoidable. You have to do accounting, you have to do invoicing, you have to get paid. Every business needs accounting. Um, and um, our tagline is beautiful accounting software, which is deliberately provocative because people don't think of accounting software and beautiful in the same sentence. And we've been going for 10 years, started in New Zealand 10 years ago, and now have over 800,000 businesses around the world using our software. Uh, I've been responsible for our UK business. We're now uh, we're doing pretty well. We're the largest in our, our space in the UK, about 160,000 customers and wow. all small businesses. So really, really interesting what's happening in small businesses. It is. It is. So it should be on show. So Luca, um, remind us, you're the co-founder of Penta. Who, are, who is Penta? So, uh, I mean, essentially, we, we've had so many problems with our banks in the past. And ultimately, we think that business banking sucks. <laughs> And uh, we had to go to the branch. We had to leave our offices, pouring, freezing, Berlin rain, and um, send money abroad or cash in the check. Then essentially, we thought, I mean, we want we want our bank to be as easy as using an Uber or booking an Airbnb. We want to do it in a essentially in the tap of a button. And uh, so we thought to ourselves, why don't or essentially why don't we build a bank that that integrates all the best fintech services and apps in one place, and then makes it as easy as ordering an Uber or booking an Airbnb. So. That's essentially what we're doing. Sounds good. And we're joined now by George Bevis, the CEO of Tide. George, welcome to the show. And uh, thank you very much for being here. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Tide, please? Sure. Um, my own background is exceptionally dull. was particularly dull for many years in banking. Um, and then uh, was less dull 
uh, some years being an entrepreneur and finally had the opportunity to um, bring those two sides of my history together in the creation of Tide. Tide is the banking service which saves small businesses time and money. Tide is essentially a uh, entirely small business focused uh, next generation banking service uh, created by entrepreneurs uh, for entrepreneurs and backed by uh, the, f- the fairly high profile founders of companies like uh, Love Film and Zoopla and One Fine Stay and Songkick and uh, a number of other high profile British entrepreneurs. Very, very cool. So it's great to have you gents with us. And uh, I think first and foremost, I'm going to ask the group, you know, what qualifies something as an SME, a small, medium enterprise? How would you guys define that? So, so um, one minute is SME and it's SMB, and the language is even confusing. And what is a lang- what is an SM, small, small and medium-sized business? And so, various definitions vary. But um, in our in our view, a small business is somebody that could be just self-employed. So even an Uber driver is a small business. It's like a self-employed driver or a window cleaner or or you're a management consultant. Um, up to, and I think I probably top out at about 50 or 100 staff. And anything bigger than that, you're all really small. Yeah. Um, uh, statistically, there are 5.3 million trading entities in the UK. Huge, big number. Um, and 98, 99% of them are SMBs. Um, and so the number of really kind of large medium-sized businesses is maybe a couple hundred thousand and 5 million SMBs. And about 3 million of them are self-employed. And then there's about two to two and a half million that will be a little bit bigger, employ maybe 10 staff, 15 staff, are usually kind of owner-funded, owner-managed in single locations often, um, and could be B2B or B2C. So there are, by far the biggest demographic kind of strand in the UK is small businesses that are accountable for over half of our GDP as an economy which is surprising, and about two-thirds of all employment come from small businesses. Wow, it's quite significant. And um, so I'm interested, George, in, in your thoughts here about, um, you know, why are you focused on SMEs? Um, you know, I think it was Luca said, you know, banking for small businesses sucks. I mean, is that is that the case? If, if I want to start a company, am I going to have a, a difficult challenge with that? Or is it more being entrepreneur-focused? I think there's a couple of points here. Um, the first is, yes, Luca's absolutely right. Banking for SMEs does suck. But um, the second point is that lots of other things suck too. And those are things that can be sucked, um, solved. <laughs> it can be solved by, um, uh, uh, by a better banking service. Fintech well. Insider does not condone sucking everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, unquestionably it's true that the banking services suck. Uh, Luca pointed to the fact that it, it you know, takes forever to get a, an account and, and that, that makes no sense and it's entirely unnecessary. So we have a... A uh, product that's in beta now, where for months we've been signing up um, small businesses uh, with a three-minute mobile sign-up, proving that there's absolutely no need for these incredibly archaic sign-up processes that banks have. But the other point is that once you've got these accounts from banks, they are essentially identical to consumer bank accounts, except they charge you a load of extra money for the privilege. Um, but they don't do anything else for you reflecting the fact you're a small business. But the information that um, is held by banks in, in understanding the not only the sorts of transactions that you do with banks today, but also the sort of transactions that uh, non-banks like ours in the future will um, make possible, like doing smarter invoicing or 
taking card payments or uh, doing highly efficient uh, international payments or whatever else it is. Um, if you are able to uh, be smart about how the information around those transactions is used, you can dramatically reduce the admin burden on small businesses. Uh, we uh, did some research with, uh, we have a, a few thousand pre-signups, uh, and we asked them about the amount of time they were spending on sort of administrative hassles that take up the managers of, of small businesses. And they were typically saying that um, in, a, in a normal month, the, the boss might be spending one day out of the month, so one day out of his, his or her uh, 20 days um, just doing management admin, almost all of which can be automated away by uh, being smarter about the financial services of those businesses. You know, I think we have one thing common to three of us. Essentially, we want we want to help small businesses essentially spend less time doing their banking and more time focusing on their business. I mean, people are spending, I think, status 11 hours per week on average doing their banking, which is or up to essentially 11 hours, which is absolutely crazy. Luca, that's a really yeah. good point. I mean, the, the, if you're running a small company, yeah. you have a lot of priorities. Everything's urgent. Everything needs to get done right now. And 11 hours is a long time. So how, how are you thinking about that at, at Penta? How are you thinking about making that experience better? George mentioned, you know, like a, a simple sign-up process and, you know, really automating a lot more. Is, is this similar or? Can, can I add just a, yeah, please, another layer please. to that question? Um, because you are all small business owners yourselves, has that in your experience, have this started to inform the way you're designing what you're bringing to market? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all using our own products, you know, so. But, so yeah, but talk to more about the, about the notion of, of what that what that so framework kind of looks ju- like. Just to go back on on the definition of what a small business is to us, uh, we're specifically uh, building a bank for high tech companies, which are anywhere between three to thirty employees, and they're making below two million in revenue. So we don't know what a small business means outside of that. We know the behavior of these high tech startups essentially really really well because we've been startups. We know how they behave. We know how many transactions they're sending. We really get that. So for us, that's our definition of it because that's who we are. And we're formulating or forming essentially the products that we need to use as a high-tech startup towards uh, that for the product offering. Yeah, well, I mean, George, in, in terms of Tide, and you've got an interesting group of people working on this, it's a different level or a different notion of what SME is. And how does, how's your experience doing Tide actually inform the product itself? Um, yes, that's right. So... I would say first that although it is true that the experience of using Tide, and we do obviously use Tide, we've been using it in production as our own current account for the last six months, um, has caused us to discover some things about the product that we have refined. Um, The truth is that the insights that led to Tide, um, it didn't come as part of either iterating our product or um, doing loads of time in kind of market research in the last 12 months. Uh, rather, it built on, you know, in my own case, 10 or 15 years of entrepreneurship and in the case of, of uh, some of our backers, many more years as well. Um, and uh, a strong sense of there being an itch that it was obvious that somebody needed to scratch. And us as a team um, driving colossal personal satisfaction from being the ones funded to scratch it. Um, so actually, a lot of aspects of how our product works seem to us to be utterly obvious um, and that's because as you allude to we have been the entrepreneurs or been the managers of companies um, uh, suffering crappy financial services UIs for many years. Well how's, how's that space the SME space changed over the, the last 15 years in your experience and how's I mean, where's fintech taking it or, or 
Is uh, it taking it someplace new? So um, I, I'd say a couple of things on that. First off is the, the single biggest change that we observe, and of course we built our company on it, is the growing intolerance of small business owners for having their time and money, but I, I would emphasize probably time more than money actually, uh, wasted by uh, the crappily bureaucratic processes, particularly of big banks. So historically, the norm, the norm which still across the country um, uh, people are entirely used to, uh, is that when you need to get something done with your bank or via your accountant or in any of the other um, variety of services you use, you spend ages working out what the services that you need is, and then you spend ages uh, trying to get it set up. And specifically, it's with your bank. Um, although they'll kind of pretend that you can manage things online uh, mm-hmm. for anything that is non-trivial, they'll um, tell you that you have to uh, phone a switchboard where obviously you can't speak to a human, but instead you might be given the opportunity to schedule a meeting in someone's branch, and you'll be told that's like a great favor that the bank is doing, that they're giving you half an hour of their unbelievably valuable time to go and meet them. And then you go and meet somebody, and maybe you fill in the form, and that form hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, and so um, you have to sit with some banker who has no understanding of your business whatsoever, um, uh, trying to educate them on what it is that you do. Um, in the situation where, for example, if you're applying for credit, um, after this conversation in a credit context will take more like an hour and a half than, than half an hour, uh, at the end of which that banker most likely will tell you that he is not going to bother forwarding on your credit application um, because he knows what the bank's risk appetite is and that month they're not in the mind, the, 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 the mind for lent, uh, borrowing. So um, uh, altogether the, these processes are, have been horrific and I think the big change is that uh, small businesses now are just much less tolerant of having their time wasted than they ever were in the past. I think there's an expectation that surely you ought to be able to do these things online because you can do everything else online. And if you can't do these online with current providers, then maybe you should look to new providers. So listen, I, I'm a huge fan of what, what George is doing at Tide. I, I, I love that. Um, I'm a very loyal Monzo user, I, a customer, whatever you call somebody that uses Monzo. Mm-hmm. The thing is, Monzo software is a bank, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I think there's a bigger systemic problem. And I think you're right, George, in that the, the, the whole concept of like going to a bank and trying to get them to like, help you is really, really painful. And there's lots of opportunity to improve that, whether that's opening an account or just kind of engaging. But I, I actually have a tiny bit of sympathy for the banks when it comes to the, the constantly um, criticised uh, accurately for kind of not lending to small businesses. Government try to kind of put, put pressure on that. Um, the, the reality is, if you looked at the, the financial records of most small businesses, you wouldn't give them any money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it, banks are an easy target for us to kind of go and have a kick at because the banks and everybody wants to give banks a hard time. Uh, and absolutely, they deserve that. But actually, the small business community is itself, I think, accountable because think, I mean, so what's the most popular um, accounting software or system of record in an SMB, like a startup? It's, it's not accounting software, it's Microsoft Excel. It's, it's yeah. Google Spreadsheet. Yeah. And, and you pitch up at a bank with like kind of scrappy financial records that are out of date and incomplete. And, and because of that, your accountant hasn't really looked at them lately. And you go and ask a bank and you're trying to raise some credit or, or raise some debt to invest in your business, you're probably not going to get it. Yeah. And so 
What we see is a really interesting play, and it's absolutely got to be driven by innovation and fresh thinking with, with businesses like, like George and what they're doing at Tide. But actually getting small businesses to take responsibility for their record keeping and accounting and financial affairs is what we're trying to kind of stimulate. Uh, and for the first time, give them something that they'll enjoy using because like banks, traditional software is kind of not that interesting. It's kind of clunky. It's expensive. What am I getting for it? So give people a fresh experience, but get them involved and wrap them up in having their accountant or having a financial advisor checking in regularly, keeping on top of it so that when they then go and have that conversation, whether that's with, with George's bank in, in six months or whether that's with an established bank, the bank has then got some actual records that they can trust to make a risk decision on. Because I think small businesses have a part to play. Um, banks absolutely do, but, but there's, a, there's a bigger systemic dysfunction. There's an old saying, isn't there, that um, the reason that um, the Almighty was able to create the earth in um, six days and on the seventh day he rested was because he didn't have millions of customers and legacy infrastructure. <laughs> and I think, look, you've got to give the banks credit is they are trying to change. I know a lot of great people doing great things inside banks trying to make the situation better. Um, but I, I think the opportunity of being a startup is you can you know really build things from scratch and, and maybe solve a bit of bit of that problem. I kind of want to take it back to Gary's point, and I think we've kind of underscored a little bit of theme of behavior and uh, accountability shifting is quite interesting. When you you know banks are pointing fingers, SMEs are pointing fingers. Where's the actual line of accountability? But if you're looking at creating a solution that reshapes how an SME is starting to take accountability for their record keeping and for you know proving that they are a worthy credit risk. I mean, part of that is, I mean, fintech is now shaping the end consumer behavior. And by doing that, that that's that again is it's not data driven necessarily, it's process and workflow driven. And it's also convenience and ease. I mean, George was it's interesting when you're talking about time and um, the work-life balance is actually one of the things that has been mentioned recently is one of the primary concerns for most SMEs. In fact, The Telegraph had an article on Tuesday detailing some of the primary concerns most SMEs uh, have. One of them really is that work-life balance. So interesting that you address that. But the work-life balance also translates into minimizing the manual processes that are onerous and become uncluttered and, and, and unorganized, which is part of that accounting and record keeping. So in a way, the fintech that we're talking about, specifically, I mean, Zero in particular, is allowing them to do that, get back and claw back some of that time. So they do go in with more organized oh, records and they sure. do go in with a better a better presentation. Completely. I mean, so, so nobody sets out to do bad record keeping. When I mean, you think about the kind of archetypal, I'm setting up a new business, I'm on the kitchen table with a sheet of paper and a calculator, and can I make a go of it? Can I make it work? Mm-hmm. I can get a few customers, and all of a sudden I might have a business and can pay the mortgage and stuff. And then you do that, and you start your business, and all of us, even if it's like accidental, and you just do it through necessity. And then two years later, you're employing people. And you have a hundred customers, not two, and you're still running it on this little kind of sh- spreadsheet setup. And so it's 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 not to be. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that that, that can happen. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, I'm running a business now. And I, how did that happen? And I'm, and I don't know where I am. And that's when the problems then kind of come in because the complexity of running a business overcomes a spreadsheet or a sheet of paper pretty quickly. And and the stats are right now, if like so, if you, you set up a business today. 
Um, let's say there's 100 businesses founded in the UK today, it's way more than 100, but let's say it was 100, then only 40 of them will be here in five years. Mm-hmm. So the failure rate in businesses, in small businesses specifically, is way off the charts still. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of that will be inadequate systems, things getting on top of them, not being supported by banks, not having access to kind of guidance and, and kind of support in, in that kind of business ecosystem. And um, and I think that that if, if one of the things that inspires us is that if half of our GDP comes from small businesses, and we can make small businesses even just five percent more productive, then that has a huge ramification at a kind of macroeconomic scale. And we can, if every small business hired one more person, we'd fix youth unemployment in five years. And so we think the, the, this is why we completely fixated on small businesses is that there are loads of them. They have lots of problems and challenges, but they also have a lots of, lots of promise that we can fix or help with, with cool technology. So that kind of lends to trends and a discussion on what, what are you forecasting? What are the things that you see coming down in terms of, of trends and especially the way fintech is addressing those challenges of adding another employee or finding more operational efficiencies, refining workflow, and how are, how are you stepping into to kind of address what you see coming down the pipeline? Um, I mean, so some really basic things, just like, and it's really been talked about before, is like freeing them up to run their business. I mean, so, so one of the big one of the big cho- the challenges that, that all kind of small business entrepreneurs face when they first come to accounting is this whole concept of like debits and credits and journals and, and, and balance sheet. And problem. We, we throw lots and lots of language at them that they're not, unless they've trained as an accountant, they're not qualified to really understand. And we, we, we then say, we well, you actually have to start codifying everything that you do. And we, we built a tool uh, last year that helps accountants and bookkeepers fix errors. There were that many errors that small businesses make when they're coding up their, their, their accounting that uh, we launched this tool that goes in and lets like a bulk super user tool to fix small business posting errors. Uh-huh. And our, our, our kind of, our, our accountants and, and bookkeepers that, that use the product were like standing up and cheering in the corridor. And, and we look at this, there's millions of corrections they have to do every month. Um, and, and what that says is that small businesses just don't get accounting. It's really hard, it's complicated. Uh, they should be focusing on running their business. So what technology can we bring that kind of makes the accounting part invisible? Yeah, but I think as a whole, the whole fintech industry is such a big mess. I mean, you have to download an accounting software. You have to essentially open an account with a bank. You have to download TransferWise. You have to download a million different apps to do it. And the thing is, I think it's a misconception of essentially what is going to be a bank. Are you guys going to be a bank in five years? Are we going to be a bank? Are we going to be the only face facing essentially bank in the world? Or is it going to be all these different apps and services that you're using a hundred of and how to do, do you your get, banking? How do you get that in a bundle and how does it yeah. start to feel uh, integrated? You know, how do you get that clear communication in place? Like you were quoting it in an article recently, sort of saying that um, if you don't have that clear communication, everything kind of gets screwed up. And I guess it's the same about you know, communicating to your users and helping them understand their universe and everything they're going to need together because it's not just a bank account you need it's not just accounting software there's like this end-to-end piece i mean talk to me more about that luca and it needs to be seamless you need to be able to send money and not worry about changing apps and going to transferize or doing your accounting and then having to go to zero.com and do it it should just all be in one place and it should be all really easy to do and i feel like the fintech industry is a big mess and i and i think people like for example Nigel Verdon with Railsbank, 
where they're integrating different fintech apps and services and pushing them in different places for different banks. I think that's fantastic. Because so you're just a, a small yeah. note, we um, interviewed him on the last episode, 127. Yeah. Um, and so I would encourage fintech insider listeners to go listen to what Nigel has to say about that. I think that's a really good point you made, Luca, though. It's really about making that seamless, seamless. And, and thinking about what jobs need to be done. So do I need to pay somebody? Yes. Okay, now all the other things I need to do, they should be lined up for me. And you should have to think about it. Your yeah. bank or whatever you want to call it, bank should be able to just notify you yourself and say hey you have payroll coming up on a friday click this button a to delay it b to reject it or pay it immediately so it should think for you and then going back to the conversation we had about data the data should be feeding it back in so you're just clicking and automating it and just that's more predictive workflow again that comes down to behavior yeah and I think there's also something about intent. Um, and, and Gary, there's an analogy we found here of you saying the importance of intent for a startup. It's like the difference between shooting a bullet and throwing it. Well, what did you mean by that? So I'd love to take credit for the origination of that. It's not it's not mine. I, I heard it uh, a while back and just loved it. Um, it it's that... Um, we we have this uh, we have this saying where when you're out and you're doing business development and you're trying to build your business and you're trying to create a startup and and you have lots and lots and lots of meetings with people and it's like a, another AGM another great meeting and nothing really comes of it you know yeah. I mean? you're, you're all very busy and we look kind of industrious and we're role playing having meetings and new stuff and a lot of um, a lot of the time when I speak to to, to startups and, and 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 have the benefit of. Um, we have a community around around our product, and we're, we're trying to support and engage that community of, of ISVs and, and fintech startups, and um, occasionally asking advice. Is that is, there's no there's no secret like recipe. There's no silver bullet. Just be really clear about what your focus is, and only do that. And don't be distracted by other things, but really, really do it. Commit to it. It lends to what Lucas said earlier, which is the specialization. And I mean, when you look at the macro sense, specialization leads to economies of scale. And is that focus? There you go. That's it. There yeah. you go. Be, find out what your superpower is and be the best at it. There's some. Um, there's something um, we talked about um, in the earlier session when we talked about N26, and we mentioned you know is Brexit really starting to uh, impact small businesses? Um, George, you you quite recently is saying Brexit was a perfect scenario for you guys to launch. Why is that? So I should be clear before. Um, I sound like an idiot. I do think Brexit is a shambles and a disaster, <laughs> unless anyone um, imagines I meant otherwise. But uh, the truth is that moments of shambles and disaster create enormous opportunity for disruptors. Uh, so before Brexit happened, when we all assumed it wouldn't happen, I had a, a real fear that for Tide, that um, we uh, would potentially have some other startups uh, competing with us and that banks would uh, realize fairly swiftly that we were going to rain on their parade and they, um, the ones of them that had any sense would thrust lots of resources at trying to compete with what we have. And I, didn't, I wasn't worried that they would have anything that was ever going to be as good as us, but I was worried that they would at least try. Mm-hmm. Um, However, uh, in the context of Brexit, the following two things are true. Number one is that small businesses uh, will, in the medium and long term, if not necessarily the short term, be even more focused on uh, very good value um, services uh, than they have been in the past. And of course, Tide is free, so our pricing is disruptive there. And that, that's a, 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 a benefit that, or um, an aspect of our proposition that's even stronger in our Brexit context. And the... Um, the second is that the banks are going to be so cluttered up with writing endless PowerPoints to each other about what they're going to do about Brexit <laughs> um, that the likelihood that any of them are going to 
get through um, the, the AGM, as Gary describes it, uh, to, to um, agree to invest meaningful resources in competing the tide is exceptionally low. But do you really so, think you're competing with them? Or do you, do you, I mean... I, it's definitely the case that um, the customers that we will sign up, or members as we describe them, their alternative at the moment would be to sign up with a traditional bank. So I, I don't think there's any question that we are competing with those organisations. Um, uh, there may be opportunities in the future to collaborate with them as well, but um, the, you know the starting point is that uh, we're competing. Changing the time. But that actually lends a question, is Brexit just to distraction and I mean yes we all know there will be political consequences and fallout but right now is it just serving as a distraction and, and where's the advantage of just getting on with getting on um, I couldn't agree but it's a massive distraction for the big banks and I'm delighted about it it's not really much of a distraction for me because our strategy remains exactly as it, as it would have been the um, upside of the architecture which uh, Tides employed and I think Penthouse as well is that we're essentially just a software layer and a brand and we can apply that on top of um, what you might call host uh, banks or regulated entities in different countries. So the truth is that in moving into serving the Eurozone, we were always going to have to have a regulated partner there anyway. Uh, this maybe changes slightly what our choice of partner might be. Maybe it doesn't actually. That, that discussion is happening at the moment. Um, but it doesn't make a huge difference to whether or not we go there. Very interesting. Guys, um, I'm going to round this one to a close because uh, time is against us, unfortunately. But uh, from all of you, really, I, I want to know, um, you know, what's exciting you about the next few years for small, medium businesses? If I'm uh, running a small business and as a co-founder of a small business, yes, I am. What should I look forward to from, from you know, the next couple of years, from Zero, from Penta, from Tide? And, and where can people find out more about your organizations? George, do you want to get us started? Um, so you can find out more and sign our pre-sign-up list at tide.co. Mm. Hopefully that was clear. Um, and I think what people should be excited about is uh, we talked about work-life balance and um, I would characterize it typically, the problem as being as follows, that you spend the nine-to-five in your small business doing whatever it is that your small business exists to do and then you spend your evenings doing admin. And um, software and smart solutions represented by the companies around this table and lots of others over the next five years are essentially going to solve that problem. So your admin requirement is going to go away dramatically and you'll get your life back. That's my prediction for the next five years. <laughs> Love that. Uh, Gary, anything to add? Uh, zero.com and we have the worst name ever uh, phonetically I love your name I love yeah, it yeah we, we were trying to get Aardvark accounting and at the top of every list and we ended up with X and then it sounds like a Z so anyway xero.com um, what, what's what's interesting uh, in the next few years I, I, it, there's like tons of things going to kick off I think so machine learning AI uh, automation whatever you call it that's just such a huge area to go and, and, and kind of build on and I, and I think if you look at a, a, a typical business today, it probably looks quite like it's kind of, if it's been around for 20 years, kind of like what it did like 20 years ago, 1996. I think in 10 years, that business is going to look radically different. I think the work that's, um, that, that, that we're seeing and the innovation that we're seeing in fintech and in small business uh, technologies is going to be completely transformational. I've never been more excited about what software is going to, going to do for businesses than I am right now. Luca, any thoughts? Yeah, you guys can find out about us at getpenta.com. Uh, I mean, I would say as a whole, it's more about automation. Everything is going to be automated. Uh, I think 
I think that things are just going to be so much easier to do and you're going to spend less time doing your banking and more time uh, concentrating and focusing on your business, scaling your business, focusing on your customers, things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. All right. Well, uh, that's another episode. Gela, thank you for being guest host this week. You've kicked hey, some serious It's a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll <laughs> speak to you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone. So thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to Fintech Insiders. Review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. And befriend us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next week, we'll see you soon.